Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. So, we want to get started because number one, I want to give Austin and Erica as much time as possible, and number two... We obviously want to honor your guys' time tonight as well. The goal is to be done by 7. The kids might uh, start anarchy in the back if we're not done by 7 as well. So uh, everybody watching online, thanks for joining us online as well. Just two things. If you don't know Austin and Erica, uh, you're going to get to know them tonight. They're two of my favorite people, vintage partners, uh, lead athletes in action for Tulane and Loyola and UNO. Uh, and um, the thing that really excites me about tonight is twofold. Number one, this was their idea, and uh, anytime uh, a vintage partner has an idea that's not mine, and they're, it's not only their idea, but they want to do something about it, I'm all for it. And uh, what excites me about that is that they are using their God-given gifts, right? So every single one of us have spiritual gifts that God has given us, and Austin and Erica are being faithful to use those gifts in uh, Christ's church. And so that really excites me. And then the other thing that excites me about tonight is everything that they're going to be telling you, they do. Or they're working on, right? Or they're in process with, right? So this isn't just theory. These are things that they're actively doing in their own life. As they, as they learn to study the word and hear from God, they're wanting to pour that back into us as well. And so uh, I'm just, I'm really excited about that and uh, thankful for them in that. So I want to pray for them and then uh, we will welcome them and then we just need to buckle up and get ready to be carried away. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for tonight and uh, we thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have to gather to learn from two of your followers. We're thankful, God, for Austin and Erica We're thankful for their passion for you. We're thankful for their passion for your word. And so I pray, God, that you would use them, speak through them tonight. I pray that you would open up our ears and eyes and our hearts, God, to learn from them. um, That uh, from this night, we would come away, God, yes, number one, with tools to be able to understand, read, and apply your word better. But number two... Uh, And probably more importantly, to hear from you and know that we have, in fact, been with you. And so, uh, God, we pray for tonight. Use it for your glory. Use it for our benefit. We love you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome Austin and Erica. What's up, everyone? I'm Austin. This is my wife, Erica. Hello. We're the cars. And uh, we don't have PhDs. We don't have, like, all of the letters after Dustin. So please just bear with us as we try to teach and everything. By the way, side note, I did not mean to dress for a funeral. I, uh, this is accidental, actually. I'm, on, I'm in all black right now. So please have grace on me as well. Um, okay. What we're going to start off with, though, is uh, sort of an icebreaker. I will say, so we're going to... We're going to get kind of heavy into it. I hope you guys brought, A, your Bibles, and B, uh, something to take notes with. I'm going to take the first half. Erica is going to take the second half of tonight, um, about an hour or so each. 
And, uh, but I think uh, as all, I think, uh, programs like this begin the best, I think, with icebreakers. And so we're going we're gonna to start with an icebreaker. And we have real stakes, okay? Erica, do you want to show them what we've got? First, we have, this is Austin in my favorite restaurant, Subway. Yes. This is where we, we built our, our loving relationship through Subway. Five dollars yes. foot long. We went I on mean, a date today to Subway. We actually. did actually. I'm we love lying. Subway. I mean, in fifteen dollars, that's like three sandwiches. So, amazing. That's huge. Amazing. Austin loves the Italian BMT. Foot long wheat Italian BMT. I'm just a classic turkey girl, you know. I keep it simple. And then Target. I mean, this is luxury clothing and groceries. So. Any Target fans out there? No? I mean, who who doesn't oh, like Target? Sure, like, yeah. This oh. is this <laughs> is not? it. This is it. So Good. high stakes. Okay, I think we have we have like seven or eight questions. You know, some of these are like whoever's the closest wins, and you know, others of them like either you know it or not. Okay. But we have first place and second place. So. Yeah, we have first and second place, and like honor rule. I mean, for you guys at home uh, streaming, sorry, you're not a part of it. Uh, no phones allowed. You know, no looking up or anything, okay? Um, all right, so let's make sure everyone's phone. Laura Boris, you got yours? Okay. Okay, yeah, it's your Bible. Amen. All right, first question. Chris, you want to put it up there? How many total verses are in the Bible? Everyone gets one guess. Everyone gets... Not everyone. Or, I mean, whoever wants one guess. If you get correct in the, uh, the correct... Ten thousands. Well, well, well. All right. What are the guesses? No, Chris. You know the answer. Fifty thousand. Okay. It's less than that. Let's let's get more guesses. No more clues, though. Let's see. Come on, don't be shy. This we want to be. Thirty-five thousand. Okay. What do you say? Okay. Any others? What's that? 22,000. Okay, two more guesses. 22,500. One more. 26,102. 26,102. I think we have our winner. Actually, yeah. Yeah, we have our winner. A clear winner. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. Kendall. We're yes. 31,000. No, no, you don't get one yet. No. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this is a first and second place thing. We're competitive. We're athletes. All right, one point so for one Kendall. Point. One point. Keep up. Uh, the answer, 31,173. Question number two. How old was the oldest human person to live, Methuselah, when he died? 969. That's correct. Okay. That's oh exactly gosh. correct. Laura 969. Boris. 969. Laura 969. Boris. Someone went to Bible camp. Okay. Good. Okay. Great. Next question. Who was the second oldest person to live and how long? It's a little tougher. <laughs> 950 was a guess. 420. It's a two-part question, yeah. I'll say this. If anyone gets the name right, you win right away. It's actually uh, one of my brothers. Anyone knows my brothers. <laughs> oh. All right, five seconds. Honestly, we have a clear winner on how long. Yeah, we do. Okay. 962. Is that Jared. correct? That was Jared. Yeah. Okay. So, 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so we have, we have one point uh, spread, spread around. Okay, next question. How many total words are in the KJV? <laughs> this uh, in the 100,000s. No, Erica, don't give clues. <laughs> don't give clues. All right, come on. Let's get some guesses here. Hundred thousand. One thirty two thousand. Hundred fifty thousand. We got five hundred thousand. One seventy five. Six hundred eighty five thousand. Okay. Two hundred fifty thousand. Three hundred thirty two thousand. Any guesses from this second row over here? No? Yes? Anyone want one final guess? Okay, no? Okay. Uh, the answer, Chris? 788,258. The Boris <laughs> clan gets the next one. <laughs> All right. All right, on to the next one. Uh, if, if they're doing separate guesses. Okay. All right. Okay. If you're giving separate guesses, yeah, no. All right, what's the last word of the Old Testament? That's a good guess, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, this is a tough one. I don't think anyone's going to get this. You? No. Does anyone know the last book of the Old Testament? Okay, nice. Should we give a point for that? Or? Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, you know what? This will be a wash. Uh, the last word is curse or destruction. I don't know if you guys know that one. Um, okay, but we might be able to get this one. What's the first word of the New Testament? No. Does anyone know it? It's Matthew. Say it again. According. There might, we're, we're, we're an ESV church. So, I mean, it might be. What's that? What do you say? That is correct. The is the first word. <laughs> yes. There you go. Okay. Um, two more questions. All right. All right. How many total authors included in the Bible? Authors. 47, 33, any others, any other guesses? <laughs> the verdict's out, I guess we're just consensus, I guess, 32, anyone else? Gage has his phone out, what's going on, what's going on, oh he's not looking at it, okay, he's just bored, oh okay, okay. Other question. All right, one more guess. Well, well, that's a tie right there. Yeah, it's a tie. Because it's 40. So one point. Did you say 39? I did hear him say 39 oh, last, okay, last minute. Okay. Wow. So, okay, that's second place for you so far. All right, last question. What does the term Bible in Greek literally mean? That is correct. Book or books. Yes. From Greek term biblia, which means books. Okay. All right. So we have our two winners. Put your hands together, everyone. All right. Come on up. Come, come. You want to give them their prize? Um, 
Cool. You got one, one to Mark, one to Josh? Yeah. No? Yeah. <laughs> All right, subway or target? What would you like? Uh, target. Okay. Yes! <laughs> you got, you got, we went to the subway by your house today, so. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> let's go home. Um, all right, let's get to the real stuff here. That was fun, icebreaker. Um, we're going to begin with a little bit of Bible 101. Um, you can go to the next one, Chris. Um, I guess first, Erica, if you want to share just about Bible study versus Bible devotion. Yeah, so tonight we're just going to be breaking this up into two parts. Austin's going to begin giving us kind of a background on how to study the Bible correctly and understand what it means, understand the context, know what it is that you're actually reading. So kind of from that intellectual standpoint, like what is this that we're reading? And then I'm going to, in the second part, take us into how to read it devotionally to connect with God, experience him in his scriptures, connect your heart to the word of God. So both are important. Um, yeah. You need both. Yeah. Definitely. You, you definitely need both. And um, I'll, I'll say this. The first half will be pretty notes heavy. What I'm going to be sharing, there's going to be a good amount of information. We're going to be talking about genre particularly. And so there's just going to be, um, I'm going to throw a lot of information at you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to keep it interesting and interactive. Um, but then afterwards, it's going to be very activity-based with Erica for the devotional portion, which is um, for both, we need our Bibles. And the handout that you have is all for my portion. So Notes, well, you should just take on the back of yeah, the handout. on the back or somebody for somewhere else. Okay. Awesome. So we're going to talk about the Bible, and we're going to begin with the problem, and I think just our heart behind this. Um, we don't know our Bibles well enough, and this starts with us, and I think it starts with all of us. I think the Christian journey is a life of understanding our Bibles better. And the problem is, if, if we're lacking in knowledge of our Bibles and what it says, um, and that's God's written revelation, that it means we're lacking in knowledge of God, who God is. And if we're lacking in the knowledge of God, then we are struggling, or at least we're not um, as fruitful, we're not as effective, we're not as pleasing to um, God in our lives as we could be, right? We, we want to just keep growing, want to be more and more pleasing to him. We want him to continue to refine us. And we wanna, I want to see more fruits in my life a year from now than I do um, in this moment. What does this come from? Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, we read our Bible and we increase in the knowledge of God, and that allows us, that it empowers us to bear more fruit and to live a life even more pleasing to God the Father. We all want that, right? And so let's, let's get to know our Bibles better. Let's get to know what he says to us. A couple quotes that I really liked to sort of back this up. D.L. Moody, he's the famous American, 19th century American evangelist. He's the founder of Moody Bible Institute, which is that big seminary in Chicago. He said, I never saw a fruit-bearing Christian who is not a student of the Bible. Um, that's all of us. We might not be in seminary. We might not be getting those degrees. I haven't gotten any degrees from a seminary. I think I want to one day, but I do want to be a fruit-bearing Christian. I think that's a calling on all of our lives, and so that means we're going to be students of the Bible. He also said, um, D.L. Moody, he also said, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. I really like that quote, too, and I see that in my own life. When, when, I'm, in, when I'm diving in the Word, I am being veered away from sin, but when I'm, when, I'm, when, the, when I'm letting the flesh take over, I'm being veered away from the Word of truth and God. Um, so, um, overview, just the Bible, general information, some information we might have already known. 
Um, 66 books in the Orthodox Protestant Bible. Um, there's 40 authors. Yes, you know, depends on who you think, or Hebrews and Judges, etc. But generally, we can just settle on um, 40. Um, the time periods, I mean, so the, the time period of the Bible content it, itself is from creation to like literally the new heaven and new earth. So it's like all of time. Uh, but the uh, periods through which, from which it was written, 15th century B.C., um, the Exodus all the way to the 60s, 70s AD was when um, it was actually being written. And um, there are different genres, different characters, different historical and literary contexts. We're going to dive into this um, here. But th this is sort of an overview and, and sort of just an overview of the purpose, which I'm sort of, I, I do want to drive home. He, he gave us the Bible to learn about him and not just learn about him, to, but to come to a saving faith in him. And ultimately that our walks, uh, would, our Christian walks would be guided in him. Um, it's not just for information, but for transformation. You hear Dustin talk about that repeatedly about spiritual disciplines. Our, our, we're not reading our Bible just so that we can download information, right? A computer can do that or, or anyone can do that. I've had professors, I remember at Northwestern taking a religious studies class with a professor who loved the Bible, but she didn't worship Christ. And so it was the oddest thing to me, but we can download information, but not be transformed in our, in our hearts. And so again, like the information, it's not that it doesn't matter, right? Like we, when we grow in the knowledge of God, we learn information about him, but the end of that is transformation. And Eric is going to talk a bit about the transformation um, as we go forward. Um, but we're transforming our minds, our attitudes, our behaviors, our beliefs, our entire perspective. We want to be thinking our lens. We want it to be a Christian lens, like the way in which we interpret a movie, like the Avengers, right? Like I, I want to filter it through the lens of scripture and the truth that, that has saturated my heart and mind so that um, the lessons or the themes that I'm, that I'm being indoctrinated around me everywhere, because it's not a question of if, but it's, it's how and when we're being indoctrinated everywhere around us, whether it's a billboard, a song, um, all sorts of media content that we consume. It's, it's, it's trying to teach us something, and I want that to be through the lens of Scripture. I want to um, think Christianly, if that's, if that's a term that we can use. But the problem is uh, sometimes the Bible can seem very intimidating, um, or it can seem a bit overwhelming, sort of like, where do I begin? I remember having a roommate in college who was like, man, I got to give him my Bible again. So he started in Genesis, and he got bogged down, like, by Exodus. And it's, you know, where, where do I start? Do I have to read all of it to know all of who God is? Um, it, it's, it's kind of ancient, right? It's ancient scripture, so how do I go about this? Um, I, we can't tackle all of these questions all at once. We might have some Q&A at the end, um, but that's okay. It's, it's okay to feel a little bit overwhelmed. It is a very big book. There's a lot written in it, and there's several different genres, and so we're going to kind of try to attack a few different genres um, to sort of help us understand as we read it. But if you're going to get one thing um, of the Bible, it, it, whenever we understand the Bible um, in general, like what is this message or the story arc of the Bible, it is this unified storyline of God redeeming a rebellious humanity back to himself. I'll say it again. The, the Bible is a unified storyline of God redeeming a, a rebellious humanity back to himself. And we see this across the entire story of the Bible. And for anyone, by a show of hands, has anyone read through the whole Bible in a year or two years? Has anyone ever done that before? Okay, yeah, we have some hands. I'm close. I'm in. We're, we're, in, we're in process. Yeah, we're, we're in doing process. it for the first time this year. Yes. So It's going to be over a year. It's going to be, yeah. Well, I believe in God for <laughs> less than a year. But we're trying to do it for the first time, right? Um, and that's, it's a challenge for sure, but I mean, for, for wherever you are at in your Bible reading, like we're, we have not read the entire Bible. We've read a lot of it though. So we, and we've read a lot of things about the Bible that we think we can trust. So that's what brings us up here. But, um, this overarching storyline is something that you find over and over and over again. 
um, from the Old Testament to the New, from Genesis, I mean, we believe the Bible from Genesis to maps, I heard one guy say, like from the Genesis <laughs> to the maps on the back of the Bible, right? And so um, as we're going through it, we're seeing this theme, and it's, it's cool. I think a familiar story that we all are familiar with is Adam and Eve, right? Um, Genesis 1 through 3, God creates. It's sort of a, a microcosm of the entire Bible. God creates humanity and creates us for good. He is our creator. He's is, he is authoritative, and he puts us in a good environment. And, and that's Adam and Eve, right? And then we rebel against God. We want to do our own thing. We want to um, say, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and that's sort of the apple, right? They fall into sin, original sin. And so we turn. So he created us, but then we turn, we rebel. Um, but God, graciously, he doesn't just leave us there. He graciously pursues humanity um, that we would be restored. And um, that is seen in this little story. God seeks out Adam, right? It's not Adam saying, God, where are you? It's God saying, Adam, where are you? And seeking him. And he doesn't just seek him and, and, and converse with him, but then he provides skins to Adam and Eve to uh, basically cover them, their shame. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. And we sort of see that cycle over and over and over again. The good intention that God created us for, we turn against and, and we rebel. We say, no, I want to do my own thing. And we can all be honest and look in our own lives, look in the last week. What, what's a way that I've said, no, God, I want to do my own thing in this way, whether it's selfishness, sexual morality, it could be anything. Um, and, and God has, God comes after us in grace um, and in truth. And that's ultimately seen in Christ. Um, so, okay, um, that's the overarching theme. However, uh, there's this river of separation between um, us and many of the texts. Almost, if you could imagine, like, we're all standing on this side of the riverbank. Um, I wish I had a, I, I should have found, like, a good picture. I, I love beignets, and I uh, used to be a Café du Monde apologist. I'm no longer, like, are there any Café du Monde, like, are, is there anyone who's like, those are the best beignets in town? Yeah? Okay. They're very good, but I see some heads shaking. Like, what, where are the best ones? Where do you get them? Where do you get them? Morning call? Okay. Is it, uh, is it morning call? Is that the... Okay. Y'all got to check out Loretta's, all right? I'm just going to put that out there. Loretta's. It's in the French market, uh, in the French Quarter. It's, it's amazing. But the whole point was, like, I love going to get... <laughs> I love getting beignets, and then I walk to um, that, like, Riverwalk area, and you get to see the... Mississippi, right, is so wide, it's beautiful, but it's also cool to see all these different currents that are going different ways, and you see the barges that come in, and it's like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be able to swim across, I sink anyway, I don't float, but like, it's, it's, it'd be very hard to get across to the other side, and in some sense, that's what, uh, that's the challenge facing us with the Bible. We're on this side, and separating us between, you know, let's, let's say that that side is like just landing on the proper interpretation and application of Scripture, that's where we all want to get. I want to know what the Bible says and apply it to my life correctly. But th there's this river with several different currents, and many of us st step into it, well-meaning. We're, we're stepping into it, hey, I, I want to swim across and get to the other side, and I'm trusting God to get me there, but there's these currents that um, we don't share, right, or that, that are come and kind of toss us, whether it's the separation that we have with the authors and with the, with the time, right? Uh, we have a different culture. We, we have different, um, you know, cultural norms, um, we have a different language, um, and as it refers to the Old Testament, we're in a different covenant, right? So there's these different things, these, these currents that they're not meant to, like, sink us, but they're just, it makes it hard to arrive on the other side. Um, and it takes practice, it takes work to get to that other side of the riverbank, landing um, at the right interpretation and application. But with practice, practice makes perfect, right? And... Um, the, the good news, what's encouraging to me is, yes, we can keep practicing this for sure, but also 
The same spirit uh, that inspired the text is the same spirit inside of us. And so he is leading us. He is helping us. He is guiding us. If we come to scripture surrendered, God, I try to every time, every morning when I, when I open my Bible and read it, I, tr- I try to pray every single time, Lord, would you please open my eyes to your truth and help me to, to, to just like grasp it and to just enjoy it and to apply it, God. Right? And I, I think, I mean, if it's a spiritual book, then we need to have spiritual eyes to understand what it's saying. So every time I try to approach scripture, it is, Lord, please open my eyes um, to your ways and to your truth that I find here. Um, cool. Okay, so that's encouraging. Quick, um, quick little exercise. Everyone has their Bibles. Go ahead and take them out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to separate us into two groups. And if you're watching, you can pick whichever group um, you want to be a part of. Um, but on this side of the room, basically to my left, your right, we'll divide it here. You guys are Luke chapter 14, 1 through 11. And um, this other side is Luke chapter 14, 12 through 24. Okay? So group one is Luke 14, 1 through 11. Group two is Luke 14, 12 through 24. Um, this isn't contrived. This isn't, I just want you guys to read it. And if you have notes to take, um, or if you want to take mental notes, I would prefer that you take notes somewhere. So just you read the text maybe once or twice, and then just sort of um, write down what you get from it. Write down what, what it says um, and what it says to you. Um, and so we'll, we'll take just a few minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right, so I'm going to be talking about genre, Um, understanding genre, what genre of literary text you are reading is very, very important to understanding what the Bible is saying. Does anyone want to shout out what genre did you just read, if, if you know? It's okay if not. Yeah? Yes. So group one, it was actually a mix of narrative and parable. Um, And group two, that was just a parable, the parable of the wedding feast, right? Or the great banquet, sorry. Um, Okay, so group one, you had a little bit of narrative, New Testament narrative, as well as parable. And then group two, you had um, just a straight parable. Awesome. Okay, why does genre matter? What is genre to begin with? Okay, this is where we're going to get some notes. Okay, genre. Genre is a literary, um, uh, sorry, a literary genre is a category of literary work that conveys a certain message within a certain set of rules or guidelines specific to that genre. I could have written that down, sorry. But I'll say it one more time. A literary genre is a category of literary work that conveys a certain message within a certain set of rules or guidelines specific to that genre. Why does this matter? We all kind of implicitly know why know why this matters. If you read somewhere, the notorious Mr. Willis steals again from Rodney Jackson and then runs home. Um, That means completely different things if you read it on the front page of the newspaper. It says, oh my gosh, this Mr. Willis stole again from this Rodney guy and and then he ran home. Interesting. Versus the the sports section, right? If it's in sports, you know, oh, that's, that's from a baseball game. But if, I'm, if that's on the front page, right, and let's say Rodney Jackson's like your neighbor or something, like, whoa, what happened, right? Um, okay, so that, that matters. Or if you read, like, I will utterly destroy you, right? If that was written to you in a note 
um, a personal note, right? That's one thing versus hearing it in a rap song on the radio or um, say in the context of a uh, fight with your spouse. Well, no, that's, that's a pretty serious thing. It's we a have pretty, very dramatic fights. Yeah, we have some pretty dramatic, uh, yeah. Well, that'll be the next equip night is spousal unity. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should take Erica in that one. Um, okay, so, but this matters in, how, in what we observe and what we interpret and then how we apply it. We've got to know what genre of text we're reading. And there are several biblical genres. Um, if we had more time, I'd quiz you guys, but here's just a list of them. We have narrative history, genealogies, chronicles, laws, poetry, proverbs, prophetic oracles, riddles, drama, biographical sketches, parables, letters, sermons, apocalypses, um, and there's more, right? But these are like the main genres that you find in the Bible. And so one of the first questions you have, like, okay, when you're reading um, a text, how do you know which genre it is? How, how can I know if this is a parable or if it's a genealogy or if it's narrative history? Now, in general, I think it's intuitive, right? If, if we've, um, you know, had some English, uh, basic English education, we can sort of tell a genealogy maybe from narrative, right? Um, but maybe there's stuff that isn't necessarily clear or we don't get it the first time. And so first, you, you want to read it multiple times. Um, but, but there's sort of a hard way and an easy way, okay? The hard way is uh, you can read through multiple times. You can write down literary devices and patterns you notice in the text, setting those devices and patterns in their historical context, gathering knowledge of the author, and then cross-referencing with other contemporaneous ancient texts to uh, discern what the uh, genre is. Or you can read the intro pages in your Bible, okay? <laughs> um, one or the other, right? I, I do the latter, uh, Dustin does the former, and that's great, right? Praise God, different giftings, okay. Um, so, um, this, this matters a ton, and this will help you, when, when we understand the genre, and we understand sort of the guidelines and, and what exactly we're reading, this will help us get to know what God is saying to us today, and that's, you know, this acronym OIA, Observe, Interpret, Apply, that's, that's um, a really helpful thing. I think we, we had other acronyms for that, but when we read the Bible, we observe, we just, oh, what's it say? And then when we interpret and apply, knowing the genre is going to help us a lot. And as we grow in understanding this, it's going to help us answer um, questions, everything from interesting questions like Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a very common verse that's quoted a lot. Does it apply to us today? Uh, yes or no? If it does apply to us today, how does that apply to my life today? Um, when when God is speaking to the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah. Prophetic genre, what does that mean and how does it apply, right? Um, so questions like that, to like fun questions like, okay, uh, Jesus was a human, but he was also a man. But in his humanity, does that mean that he also like tooted a little bit, right? Did he pass gas? Um, and if he did, like, would he blame it on his disciples and stuff like, you know, Peter? Right? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a question I like to throw out there sometimes. And, you know, if you want to get under Dustin's skin a little bit, you can maybe ask that. But, okay. Um, so, did <laughs> Jesus pass gas? Yes, discuss that over dinner tonight. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to look at three genres, okay, and, um, and then we'll transition. Um, so the first, we're going to start with uh, what makes up about 40% of the Bible, Old Testament narrative or Old Testament narrative history. Um, one more quick exercise. Uh, you have a minute, maybe two, if, if things are going pair up with somebody right now um, and tell them the story of your first crush or your first like boyfriend or girlfriend like that when those sparks first began to fly okay so pair up with somebody all right and tell the story of that crush all right you have like one minute all right you both have to share maybe two minutes like and just like tell the story of what happened how it started
All right, let's, let's wrap up, bring it back together. Does anyone, I heard lots of snickering and giggles. Does anyone have a quick, quick one to share with the group anywhere? No? Anybody? Lots of giggles. Did anyone learn anything or get anything out of it? Gage is like, yeah. Well, no, I think, I think we got Gage. Could you just come up and just, just with the mic real fast? Just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds, I saw lots of giggling over there. I don't know if your wife's okay with it or not. Well, hi, my name's Gage. I'm happily married to Chrissa. And my, uh, my first romantic crush experience was in first grade. My neighbor moved in. Her name was Summer. And she liked to jump on trampolines and have super soaker wars just like I did. So we were pretty good friends for a whole summer. Um, and then she kissed me on the trampoline one day, and I panicked. And I pushed her off the trampoline. <laughs> and she got hurt. And I had to go inside and tell my mom why she went home, what happened. Mom asked why. She's like, I thought you liked Summer. I go, yeah, but she kissed me, so I just reacted and shoved her off the corner. So, like I said, I'm grateful so for Carissa. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Carissa, yes. you are an angel. Okay, yes. Pushing your crushes, that's a, that's a great one. So, um, that is great. Why did we do this? Um, sort of to draw out this reality of narrative, right? Um, and, and in just about every story, I'm sure, and if you had more time, this would definitely be even more abundantly clear, Narratives generally have three realities in them, or three basic parts to them. Um, this is how we know that it's a narrative. It has characters, it has a plot, and it has a plot resolution. And so we, we had characters there, we had Gage and Summer, and we had a plot. She liked to be on trampolines, so we jumped together, right? And then, how did it resolve? She, yeah, I mean, yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, d depending on, she cracked her wrist. My goodness. So depending on the scope of your story, I mean, the narrative is resolved with her cracking her wrist or with you getting married, right? It depends on, <laughs> depends on how the author wants to write it. But that is, that is sort of a, a, the narrative genre, right? Um, again, characters, plot, and plot resolution. And involved in these parts, each of these parts, you have protagonists and antagonists, and then you have agonists who are the other major characters involved. And so in any uh, narrative, it's important to understand, we have this picture of a tree, that there's... Um, there are three levels, right, to the Bible's narrative. Um, the third level is sort of like the, the root of the tree. It's where everything comes sort of together, and that's sort of what you might call the meta-narrative or the general governing narrative, which is, I mentioned it, God's plan for redemption. This, this is the third level um, Bible-wide narrative, meta-narrative, God's plan for redemption of humanity. Um, the second level narrative Scholars call it's sort of the story of God's redeeming a people for his name. So a certain people for his name. God is redeeming um, Israel in the Old Testament covenant. And then in the New Testament covenant, it's us Christians through Christ. Um, and then that first level narrative. And so we're, it's almost like we're working our way up the branches. So this first level narrative or third level, sorry, um, it's kind of counterintuitive. But third level, this is the meta narrative of God redeeming humanity. These branches are sort of the second level narrative of God redeeming a certain people. And then. Up here, you have all the hundreds of different stories, right? You have all these different stories that we read here and there and there and here in the Old Testament um, that sort of 
when you, when you read across them and you familiarize yourself with them and you familiarize yourself with the arc, you sort of see how they all fit into the, the second and then the third level narrative. Um, okay, and so the examples, I mean, the books uh, that include these are in the Old Testament. We're all familiar with them, I'm sure. Genesis to Joshua to Nehemiah to Jonah to Haggai and so on. Um, and so how are we to read these books, right? Um, some of us, I'm, I'm sure many of us have read Genesis or parts of it. Um, and so I'm just going to give a few, a few points. One, um, read through it several times. It's important, right? Because usually when we start, we are starting at the top where we're, we're one little segment. We're, we're at the first level where it's like hundreds of different little stories. Um, and so when you read it several times, the passage and then the, the segment several times, you familiarize yourself with the narrator's plot progression, the point that, that they're trying to make, the context, the smaller context, and then you know the more you read, the more you familiarize, the larger context you're getting into. Second, as we're reading Old Testament narrative, understand that scene and structure and characterization oftentimes operates a bit differently than in our modern context. Again, um, and, and it's there. It, it operates a little bit different in Old Testament narrative than what we're used to. Um, you know, the sort of films we're used to watching and the movies we watch, um, many times the, um, the, the plot and everything is sort of surrounding a character. Um, and in the Bible, instead, it's, it's um, in Old Testament, many, mostly, it's like fast-moving scenes. And those are sort of the building blocks of the story and of the narrative, right? It's this scene and then that scene and then this scene and then that scene. Um, and so Judges is a great example of this. If you've ever read, read through Judges, you have all these different judges who are sort of popping up, stuff goes on, and then they die, and then another person shows up, stuff goes on, and then they die. And we're not learning necessarily, or we're not being told in every instance a ton about each judge, right? We're just sort of kind of seeing these actions. And so that brings me to um, a, a third point. I guess it sort of naturally comes, but Chris, you can put up characterization. Characterization is based in status and position more so than visual appearance. This isn't a hard and fast rule, but in general, um, to get to know a character, it's more from their uh, status or position, what they're doing or, or how they're positioned, right? There's Joseph who's in jail with the baker or the cupbearer and, you know, his interaction with Potiphar's wife. Um, and, you know, even like the characterization of Gideon, what, what he's doing at the time, I guess, could be considered that as well. But um, we're not necessarily told plainly by the narrator um, exactly uh, what they look like, and, you know, we're not going necessarily deep into uh, a ton of background. The, again, this isn't hard and fast, but it's sort of, sort of a general thing to know. Um, and then also, lastly, uh, it was written originally for hearers, not readers, okay? So people, Old Testament, right, you're listening to it, right? Um, that means repetition is something that is very important in, that, in this sort of literary genre. So looking for repetition in the written word is extremely helpful. It's almost more helpful. I think it is important to read the word, but also to listen to it, because sometimes when you listen to it, you notice that repetition even more. Um, for instance, Genesis 37 through 50, the story of Joseph. You read repeatedly, God was with Joseph, right? Um, in chapter 37 and then throughout, you, you um, read the word, the word brother itself occurs 15 times in that section, right? So the narrator is getting at something whenever um, he's repeating a word or a phrase. Throughout Judges, if you read Judges, right, um, and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, that like sentence is almost copied and pasted several times throughout Judges. The narrator's trying to drive home a point. Israel is turning from God. They're doing what is evil. Um, okay, um, and then a third point on reading um, Old Testament 
Old Testament narrative is uh, sort of this taking care to discern implied meaning where it's applicable. And this is sort of a reading between the lines. And this is, you have to be careful about this, right? Um, because we're not sort of searching for some mysterious knowledge or some Gnostic information that no one ever, ever knew. But um, it says here, implicit teaching is that which is clearly present in the story, but not stated in so many words. Many times you're reading through the Old Testament narrative and the narrator is assuming that the hearer or the reader already shares certain presuppositions or certain information that doesn't need to be explicitly hashed out. Like I'm just telling this story, almost just telling this story and you're gonna understand you know, that this was bad, but I, I don't need to go into Levitical law to tell you. And then David you know, did this with Bathsheba and it was sin and you know, right? Um, 2 Samuel 11, it's just this narrative of David sinning with Bathsheba and there's nothing said in that chapter of um, it being wrong, right? It's, it's not morally evaluated in, in that chapter. It's not until the next chapter that you read that it's wrong. But if you were to just read chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, um, you know, you could maybe, if you, if you don't understand this Old Testament narrative, you don't see the bigger picture, you might conclude, well, wait, does this Bible narrative think that David's, you know, legit or in doing this? Is it okay, right? And so it's no. So when we see the bigger picture, we get to see that story in the context and then we also understand, yes, the narrator, the narrator, narrator assumes that we understand uh, at least some of the Levitical law and, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery and that this was wrong. Okay, um, so that's a good primer on how to read Old Testament narrative. Okay, maybe some things how not to read Old Testament narrative. Um, three things. One, beware of decontextualizing, okay? Um, this is an example of when you remove a passage from its literary or historical context, to make a point that it is not trying to make, okay? And MCIC taking pictures, it's great to take pictures, guys, if you want, um, instead of notes, whatever you guys wanna do. Um, but a great example of this is uh, Gideon, Gideon and the Fleece in Judges 6, 36 through 40. You might be familiar with it, but Gideon, um, basically God tells Gideon to do something and then Gideon's like, let me double check and he puts out this fleece and says like, God, if it's really you, make the fleece wet. And then, uh, you know, comes the next day and it's wet. It's like, oh. Okay, God, if it's really, really you, make it dry. And then he goes to sleep, but the next day it's dry. Um, the point that the narrator's not, he's not trying to make, like, oh, this is how you discern God's will. Put some fleece outside, and then God will determine whether you should go to Tulane or LSU. Like, no, okay? Um, that's not, but, but um, yeah, so don't de decontextualize, right? Um, in order not to do that, you've got to see the whole picture. Like I said, you've got to read sort of a little bit more than just that little story. And really the point is Gideon is actually being unfaithful. He's, he's stalling, and he's, he really doesn't want to do what God has called him to do. And you get that from other parts of it. Another thing not to do when reading Old Testament narrative history, false appropriation, okay? And this is a form of decontextualization, um, but it attempts to bring in a modern concept or perspective that is completely foreign to um, the narrative's the narrator's purpose, it's contrary to the point of view that's going on, it's just like, you know, oh, we have this sort of understanding of love here and now, and sort of throwing that on, uh, as an example, it'd be throwing that onto uh, Jonathan and David, right? You've seen this before, where um, in 1 Samuel 20, 17, um, Jonathan and David, you know, there's this love that they have, this passionate love that they have for one another, um, and there's this point where it says, like, uh, I think Jonathan kissed David, and some people say, oh, like, you know, maybe there was uh, same-sex attraction going on there, and that's, that's appropriating current customs and cultures and things that go on today um, onto them. Kissing back then was not the same that it is today. And so that's not what's going on there, but if we want to decontextualize and falsely appropriate our modern culture onto that, then we're not going to get the text. We're not going to understand what's going on. And then lastly, something not to do with Old Testament narrative 
is uh, sort of just like monkey see, monkey do. Um, this is when you take a text that describes a certain person or group's actions in history and you apply it to your own per personal ethics today. Um, and there's certainly examples of faithfulness and like good examples of godly people in the Old Testament narratives that we read about, but we have to be very careful that we're not deriving direct personal ethics and morality from narrative scripture unless it's you know, reiterated in the New Testament or we can cor correlate it with obedience to the law. Awesome. Okay, so that's Old Testament narrative. We're going to genre number two, wisdom literature. Um, wisdom literature, how to read it, what is it? We're going to dive into that a little bit. The wisdom literature books in general, Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, Job, um, is another genre, um, a genre for wisdom. What is wisdom? I think we have it up here. Wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. It is something that exists only when a person thinks and acts according to the truth when making the many choices that life demands. And this is actually a definition from How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's one of the resources that I leaned heavily on for this section and would definitely uh, recommend that book. It's extremely been extremely helpful. Um, but uh, it is oftentimes regarded as more than just knowledge. Wisdom is more than just knowledge, but it's like the savviness or skill to living life optimally. Um, so it's like, there's living life right and morally, and that's good. That's what we're called into. We're called into light. But, like, wisdom is, like, the optimal, like, okay, like, almost like which college should I go to or which mechanic uh, can I tell is, is uh, honest or, you know, they both seem dishonest, but which one is less worse, right? <laughs> like, those sort of, like, hairy questions that you have in life, well, when we're governed by wisdom, it's sort of that savviness. It's almost like a skill to living rightly. And so we have these beautiful books that are sort of a, to help us understand. And so we'll begin with Proverbs. And Proverbs is sort of that old-fashioned, basic rules of life. Um, it's, it almost has an optimistic tone in it, you might say, um, but it's sort of practical wisdom um, that we can have through helpful attitudes and behaviors that so long as we obey these general principles, we're going to lead a flourishing life. It's important to note, though, when you read Proverbs, not everything is written to, like, always be taken literally, okay? Um, and we... we you know, proverbial language is, is sort of this generality, right? Like, practice makes perfect. Like, that is a generality that's saying, you know, the more you practice, the better you'll get at something. Marginally, you know, the better you'll get, right? It doesn't mean you're literally going to be perfect. Um, you know, curiosity killed the cat, right? Uh, don't be curious. No, it's just like uh, have a measured sense of um, caution when you're curious about something, right? Especially if it's something that's dangerous. Um, and something that's cool about Proverbs is that it, doesn't have a ton of specific religious language um, that's generally absent from Proverbs. You definitely do see it, um, right? And sort of wisdom is grounded in the knowledge of God. It's, it does say in Proverbs, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, but I think it's by design. God, God wrote this. God inspired the entire Bible through his Holy Spirit. Um, Proverbs doesn't have specific religious um, language all throughout. I think to sort of communicate to us that we don't have to over-spiritualize every single aspect of our life. Um, it helps us understand that all truth is God's truth. Um, things like saving money, general principles, um, you know, working hard, these are good things. And in these matters, um, we can understand that God oftentimes re reveals these nuggets of wisdom to both believers and non-believers, and that's okay. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, all truth is God's truth. And it's funny because one of my buddies on the Saints, um, uh, I remember him telling me, he you know, it was after, I think, his second year, and he was like, man, like, Austin, like, I just, 
money, it just makes everything so hard. Like the money of the NFL makes it seem so attractive. And like I, you know, you look at it and you're, you're in college, high school, college, and then you get there, it's like, oh man, like, you know, and he was drafted. And so he, you know, he's like, he came into a lot of money and then he was just telling me like, man, like, but, but I just, I, it just causes so many problems, bro. Like it just, I'm tired of this money. I wish I could play for like a teacher's salary. <laughs> and, you know, I was kind of like, dang, bro, like, is it really that bad? Like, you know, like, <laughs> I can take some of that. If you, like, I think like, you know, not to be prideful or anything, right? But, you know, his point was just like, man, it, it's just, it's, it's a general like wisdom principle that like, yes, uh, I, I think in a like he doesn't know the Lord, I don't think, but um, I think he's getting at Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Straight from God's word, right? Um, so that's something that's revealed to him, maybe through tough circumstances. We have Proverbs. We have the God of truth. We don't necessarily have to go through those tough things to understand that. So that's a really cool thing. And I will say, as a side note, um, I think proverbial sayings resonate a ton with the millennial and Gen Z generation. Um, you look at their captions and like look at like the stuff they post. It's not like this long paragraph. It's just like, you know, YOLO, or like, I don't know, like, what are the, some of the sayings? I don't know, like, what, what are the kids saying nowadays? We should know, but um, we're parents now, right? That's an excuse. Can you use that? I don't know. Um, okay, so, but, you know, think, consider memorizing some Proverbs, many, maybe if you're interacting with millennials or Gen Zers, or if you're, you know, in ministry with them. Um, you know, it's not like going to an atheist, like, the fool says in his heart that there is no God, like, you know, not necessarily that, but, you know, uh, one of my favorites is Proverbs 3. Uh, three to five, right? Lean not on your own, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Um, man, you come to a, a younger person who's struggling in guidance and stuff. Well, you know, the Bible says lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You know, that's, that can be really encouraging. Um, so I hope that encourages you as well. Uh, Job, okay, let's move on. I know we're moving fast. So Job uh, is another, sort of the third book in our wisdom literature discussion, um, and it employs speculative wisdom, which wrestles with God and the tough realities in life. Sorry, this is the second. We're going to get to the third, Ecclesiastes. Um, but um, the story of Job is basically God allows great affliction to happen to him, and uh, he's wrestling with, why me, God? a great book for any um, believer or anyone who's going through a tough time in life. And I think it resonates especially if you're going through a tough time. Um, but the question that the book brings up is why is he suffering and who is right, Job or his friends? So you, you've got Job who's like, man, I've lost everything. He was rich, he, he had a big family, and he loses it all, except his wife, actually. Um, and it's like, wh like, why me, God? Is this because I did some sin? And Job knows, I, I think initially he's like, I know that I've been righteous in God's eyes. I've been following God. And so his friends, who are like described the comforters, they like surround him and they're like, no, like God is just, so this must be a punishment. This has got to be something that's bad for you. And, and it's like 30 something chapters of these friends like that are like surrounding him and like saying like, this is what you did wrong. You must have done this evil. And Job's like going back and forth with them. He's super sad. Um, and sort of the point that it, that it lands on is um, God is just, but the reasons that he allows for our suffering, many times it's beyond us. God himself speaks to Job and vindicates Job. Actually, you know, sort of says, Job, you have been upstanding, you know, in my eyes. It's how the book opened. Um, but, like, did you create the universe? Did you create the constellations? Like, my ways are so beyond you. And so it's almost God saying, like, I'm not going to punish you. 
uh, this, is, this wasn't a punishment. My ways are so beyond you. Um, and it's funny, it's actually then God says, like, I'm going to kill your friends, too, for what they did. And Job prays for them. And, they, and then God relents. He says, okay, I'm not going to do that, right? It's a really, really cool story. But um, we're going to get into how to read that better um, in a minute. Ecclesiastes. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm running low on time, sorry. Um, cynical tone, it works on the harder questions of life. Um, I have a lot of notes for Ecclesiastes. I love it, but it's basically a great book for college students because it brings down to earth sort of this, um, uh, my college discipler, he, he called it the perfect book for college students because um, it would, I think it, he, he views it, and I think in general, it, it does sober up sort of glittering eyes that looks at the thought of making millions and making a ton of money and becoming famous and popular, et cetera. Um, Ecclesiastes is this book that is sort of like, look, um, all of our earthly vanities, you got to bring those back, back down to the cold, hard reality that um, earth's not our home and you're going to die and, and you're actually, like all your possessions are going to go on to somebody else and you're not in control of them. So um, a really cool thing. But um, with this wisdom literature, um, Proverbs, Job, and uh, um, Ecclesiastes, try not to read in bits and pieces. Um, try, try to read them in chunks, right? And so these are the, sort of the three things to, to avoid. Um, try, try to see the, the overall message that's going on. If you jump into Job at the wrong time, you're going to think that God's word is saying, like, um, you know, jo- Job deserved what he got. Or if you jump into Ecclesiastes at the wrong time, you're going you're gonna to see sections where it says, like, wisdom is dumb because they die just like the foolish. Um, and so we need, to, we need a broader view of the arc of what the um, narrator is saying. Um, we want to familiarize ourselves with terms and categories and styles in the wisdom literature as well. Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from the foolish for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Um, does this literally mean that we have to stay away from, you know, okay, who are the foolish, right? Who, who's it talking about? Is that lowly educated or mentally ill or Falcons fans? Like, no, that's not what it's saying. Okay. Um, it, it, it's the, Proverbs defines fool uh, differently, sort of as an infidel or a person who lives selfishly, overindulging in their personal urges. They fail to acknowledge God as the authority over their lives. That, that could be some Falcon fans, but I, I'm, it's not a generality, okay, MC? I know It's all of them. All right, we're going to pray over you. Um, and so, yeah, uh, follow the line of argumentation as well, and that's sort of the point. Um, the third point is follow the line of argumentation in Job. Get from the beginning to the end, and you'll be able to see the whole arc. All right, final, final genre. Um, that, that's been a lot. But we're going to talk about parables here. And we read parables. And uh, the way I wanted, I knew I'd go over time, but the way I wanted to open this was with somebody coming up and telling a joke. And we don't have time for that. I even have one queued up with Erica, and it's like a joke with a punchline, and we'd all laugh, and like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But we don't have time for that. What's the point of that, though? Okay, so like, okay, maybe we could all laugh on three and like pretend that we just heard a joke. Like, one, two, three. Ah, <laughs> it's a good one. Great. I was actually, Dustin had one, too. I was going to bring him up, but we got to go. Um, that'll, make sh- that'll make sense in a minute. But a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning intended to lead the audience toward greater knowledge of God and so adjust their heart and behavior. Okay? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and it's meant to sort of transform us, transform our direction. And Jesus spoke in these tons of times. 
Um, I think it's amazing. I, I do think um, storytelling is great. I think this is why the movies are, tend to be so popular. Amongst other things, we love good stories. You love, you know, you can tell a good storyteller from a bad storyteller when you've been to a party or something. And when you're, like, you can see this glaze over someone's eyes. If you're telling a story, you're like, okay, they're not, this is, I'm bad at this, right? Or something like that. So, um, but Jesus was telling amazing stories, and there were parables, and they had this um, earthly correspondence that was really corresponding to, to heaven. And so we, there, there are different kinds of parables. There are true parables, um, and there are similitudes, okay? And um, we, we got to understand that a true parable, that's a story with a beginning, middle, and end. Um, prodigal son, there's this guy, this happened, and then middle, end, right? Similitude, are, those are more like when Jesus is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed or um, things like that where he's making similes or metaphors, metaphoric language. It's important to know the primary function of parables. Um, they're not necessarily first meant to teach doctrine, um, but rather calling forth a response, a response on the part of the hearer. So you, got, you guys all just read parables. Um, it's, it's almost tough to be reading it and also to be reading it in a different culture because Jesus is speaking it and these people haven't heard this parable yet. And, but it's referencing things in their culture, which we can, we can understand, I think, you know, the better we understand biblical culture. Um, but it, it's almost like it has a punchline. It's almost like usually the ending is just like, whoa, right? And so um, it's almost like a joke. If I were to tell this joke, right, with a punchline, we'd all get hit with like the sort of surprise of it. And many times, I, I think in general, that's how Jesus was telling these parables. And so in that, we need to understand who the audience is. Many times they begin with Jesus saying, or, you know, it's saying, it, there's sort of this narration, like, and then there were some scribes and, and law keepers who were challenging Jesus, and then he told this parable. And so it's, it's sort of addressing this audience. And so that sort of helps us contextualize, okay, who's Jesus getting at? What's, what's the, so the point of it is, is, is pointing at maybe a certain audience, and sometimes we can find ourselves in that audience. Sometimes we are the people who the parable is pointing directly to, right? Sometimes the parable is directly pointing to someone we know who's close to us, and so sort of discerning that and understanding that is extremely important. And so, um, last three things, and this is just how not to read parables. And um, I'll try to go quick. First, modernizing before exegesis. In other words, putting it into modern day times and um, explaining it in modern language before you really know what the point is and what it's saying. Um, so, it's important that we know that, like, what's, what's Jesus getting at? What what is the overall point of um, him telling the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Um, you know, kneeling on the uh, steps of the temple and beating their, their chests and so on. Um, we, we don't want to put that into modern terms before we know, okay, what's the point being made in his culture at that time? And, and then how does that apply to us today? We also don't want to absolutize parabolic language. Um, the, kev- the kingdom of heaven isn't literally a mustard seed. I think that's sort of intuitive. Um, and then lastly, we don't want to allegorize stories uh, or these parables, okay? And so there's parables and there's allegories. There's a subtle difference, but allegories, um, in an allegory, everything has a symbolic meaning or a deeper meaning in the story. Um, but in a real parable, you sort of discover the deeper meaning working backwards from the point that Jesus makes at the end. So like the earlier information, many times there's parables where there's earlier information, it's just kind of a setup. Again, like a joke, I'm setting you up. Not all of these things that I'm saying has a specific meaning, right? Like we can, we can dissect the parable of the prodigal son into everything meaning 
a specific thing, but when you get to the point of it at the end, that helps you look back and, okay, this is, these are the pertinent pieces of information in the parable that apply to um, the point he's getting at, which now I can take and transfer to modern day. Great. I'm done. I talk too much. Let's take a two-minute bathroom break, and then we'll be right back here for Erica's section. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to get... Sorry, that was loud. Um, we're going to get started again. Um, yeah, that was really good, and even just everything that Austin was saying, in, in college, I, I started getting discipled in, in how to read and really understand the Bible, and um, a lot of these things, they, they're just exhilarating for me. I love learning in this kind of way, and so, um, yeah, I think, like, just realizing the masterful work of literature that the Bible is, it, it starts to excite you when it's just this treasure trove, and every time you find these, these different gems, like, the more you read it, it's, it's awesome, but I think at the same time, part of why I was really passionate about doing this part of, of how to read the Bible is that I have found myself being so um, kind of intellectual and, and heady and excited about the, the literary things of the Bible that it, it almost can become easy for my heart to get detached and to not actually experience God. Um, and so this has just been a journey I've been on recently is really trying to experience the, the spiritual power um, of God as we approach the scriptures. So I, a lot of even what I have to say is from recent learning and, and things I've been um, discovering. So I am just a, a fellow traveler on the journey with all of you. Um, yeah, so I hope you can learn a little bit from what, what I've been picking up. Um, but just to start, we have a little illustration. Uh, Laura Boris, would you, would you mind coming and sitting up here? <laughs> Just for a moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I picked up the Sunday paper. I haven't ever done that here, actually, I don't think. 250 uh, at the gas station. And uh, so I asked Laura if she could just read a, a short article. Um, what's the title of the Could you hand her? The title. This? Oh, do I need the mic? What's the title of the article? The title is Tornadoes Kill 12 in China, Over 300 Injured. So it's sad. It was the shortest article, though, so... It's just what it was. But can you tell us um, what were the main points that you got from it? How did you approach reading this? How did you, you know, come to it? Um, the main points were it was it came from the title basically. Um, they had back-to-back uh, -back tornadoes in the um, the city of Wuhan and Shenzhou, which is in the Jiangsu province, and um, and. Uh, and then uh, they were both in the evening. One was about 7 p.m. and one was 8, 8.40 p.m. And they had winds of 53 miles an hour and they destroyed uh, over two dozen homes. And of course, a lot of power outage um, affected people. Um, it says 26,600 households at this time. There's probably more at this time that they know. And uh, Mm, yeah. yeah. So 12 it. people died and 300 people injured, approximately. Yeah. So a lot of facts, information yeah. that um, you got from that. Mm -hmm. um, so now I just want, Laura's going to stay up here for a minute, and she's going to do another thing. Um, while you guys, if everyone here could be reading, so you, if you look at your handout, um, there's about six or five or six scriptures. Um, just go ahead and read those scripture passages. 
Um, and while you're doing that, Laura is actually going to be reading a love letter from her husband. Oh, I am. So oh, everyone go yeah. ahead and, and take a minute. She's going to read this. <laughs> you guys are going to read that? <laughs> no, no, she's not reading it out loud. She's reading it to herself. Oh, I thought it was out loud. No, no. <laughs> read it to yourself. Everyone do your own reading. You guys read. <laughs> Sweating bullets. <laughs> so, Laura, you just go ahead and read that, and everybody else go ahead and read your Bible passages, and we're just going to talk about it. No one else is going to be reading these words. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, so, Laura, if you don't mind, sorry. This is, I mean, just this alone, right? This is so beautiful, right? Like, this is a very different approach, even your reaction to this letter. Um, if you don't mind sharing how, how you approached reading this and how it made you feel and, yeah, how maybe it differed from reading a newspaper article. Um, so the, the biggest difference is that um, this is a letter written personally to me, uh, yeah, about me, about us, and about our relationship. And the thing that I read in the newspaper was basically just filled with facts and about, about an event that happened. So there was really little, very little emotion in the news article, even though the... Um, the event that occurred in the article uh, was horrible <laughs> and does um, evoke feelings of um, uh, sadness and, and all of that because, um, you know, we experience those things here. Um, but then, in contrast, you read, you know, a love letter which is written personally to you and uh, things are uh, written that you personally remember because you went through that story and then sometimes even things are um, divulged, details are divulged that you don't remember because you were on the receiving end and uh, so you didn't experience what the other person did or in the same way. So um, it was full of um, lots of very personal communication and personal um, Mm, words of love. So, and there's a lot of facts in the article. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Laura. And and just before you get down, you guys just read some words from God. Maybe what you guys read in these scriptures, how how might those speak to how we um, ought to look at God's word? Kind of the newspaper version or the love letter version. What did you guys read in these scripture passages that would speak to that? Yeah, very, very emotional. We see these words that, that are emotional words. Like, I, I love in Psalm 119 how sweet your word is to my taste, the joy of my heart, my meditation all day long. Yeah. Yeah, there's clearly a very different way of, of viewing God's word. That It's not a bunch of facts, but it's a, a personal, um, mm -hmm. something that's personal and filled with love. And yeah, so thank right. you, Laura, for, yeah. for helping. And, and I will say that the, um, the emotional part of it, like this almost made me, you know, like burst into tears. This not so much, even though it was a sad event. So, yeah. 
that's very yeah, yeah. that's very striking so mm -hmm. there you go. thank you <laughs> and thank you mark for obliging yeah. we'll also upload that letter on the uh, for the notes yeah yeah, I, I just think that this is such an important thing because it's very easy to read our Bibles. And, and it's important to read and understand what it is saying, right? It, this is key to be able to know what God's trying to say to us. But at the same time, we don't want to do it in, a, in an information gathering style where we're hurried. We're, we're just quickly looking, what are the highlights from the story? Um, kind of judging like, okay, what do I care about? What do I not care about? Um, picking and choosing things. And, and even just being uninterested in the author, like, Laura doesn't know or care who wrote that article, probably. But she cares a lot about who wrote that letter to her, right? Um, so I do want to say uh, that this is not to say that all of the Bible, as we read it, is going to make us feel the emotions of a love letter. Um, personally, like as we're kind of going through the, the whole Bible, um, I just going through First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel was, was hard. Like, there's just so... Yeah, there's a lot of death and, and just these kind of narrative things. And so if I were to just read it looking for a personal word, uh, a personal love letter to me, I'm not going to get that. But if I'm understanding it kind of like Austin said, what, what the whole meta-narrative of Scripture is, that it's this story of God uh, redeeming a broken people, then as I read these, you know, hard-to-read things in First and Second Samuel, I'm seeing, man, like, people are so broken, but those are the people that God loves so much, and I'm better understanding how how much God loves us. And so again, I'm, I, I can approach it devotionally um, when I understand the context. Um, so I want you guys to, um, on your handouts, I think on that first or second page, uh, write down just a few words to describe how you've been experiencing scripture lately. Has it been um, that sort of emotional experience? Or just be honest, like, and you, you don't have to share this with anyone, this is just for yourself. Has it been dry? Has it been... Um, hard to understand, you know, whatever it is, go ahead and just write down uh, how you've been experiencing reading the Bible lately. All right. Um, great. So, yeah, that's just something for you guys to reflect on, um, think about as we continue to go, how we've been experiencing Scripture. Um, and I thought that this was just a good quote from Ruth Haley Barton. Sacred Rhythms is, is one of the books that really spoke to me and, and has been speaking to me recently in this area. But it says, when we are in an information-gathering mindset, which is kind of how we are when we read a textbook or a newspaper, we are analytical in our approach and at times even critical and judgmental. When we are in this mode, it is exceedingly difficult for us to hear anything new because we have so many unconscious defenses in place. Um, and again, we want to hear God, right? When we, when we come to his word, we want to hear him. Um, and I'm in Isaiah right now, and so this, this passage struck me. It can, uh, Isaiah 29, so I wrote this down here, but it says, Stop and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with beer. For the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. For you, the entire vision will be like the words of a sealed document. It is given to one who can read, and he is asked to read it, and he will say, I can't read because it is sealed. And if the document is given to one who cannot read and he is asked to read it, he will say, I can't read. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. 
and human rules direct their worship of me. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise will vanish, and the perception of their perceptive will be hidden. Um, now, read the day when the Lord redeems Israel. On that day, oh, sorry, messed it up. Anyway, so yeah, this first part, um, it, it hit me because I was just thinking, gosh, I, I never want to be in this place where I don't hear the word of God. Um, and particularly, this, the, the book of Isaiah is written to these people who, who are doing the, the sort of the right things, but they're not doing it with the right heart. And I think how easy it can be to get to that place when we're going through God's word. And especially like when you begin the journey of really unpacking how to read it and learn the context, and it's exciting, but it's easy to start to just do that part, to just break down uh, the genre and, and find the characters and you know, look at what the themes are. But you have to go further than that, and you have to um, be ready to actually hear his word. But I just, like, I never want to be in a place where I can't see it, the visions from God and hear, and, and that a document would be sealed. Yeah. Um, so, sort of the, the solution to that is then what we see in the second part of this passage. And this is when uh, redemption sort of comes. On that day, the deaf will hear the words of a document, and out of a deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The humble will have joy after joining the Lord, and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So even just thinking, man, if we just come to God's word humble, ready to hear whatever it is he has to say to us, right? Like knowing we are not the ones directing our lives. We're not, we're not going to the word, trying to find a specific thing, but we're letting him speak to us. Um, that's, that's the place we have to be. Um, so... Let us move forward toward that sweet joy that David and Job described, that great supernatural power which Paul and the Thessalonians experienced, and that life and spirit that Jesus taught us would all be gained from humbly coming to the word of God and being penetrated by it. Um, so we're going to move into an activity, but before we do, just write down a few words to describe how you have been approaching scripture lately. So think about what your journey has been. Are you... Um, have you been breaking down piece by piece? Have you been finding just one verse on the Bible app? Have you, you know, what has been your approach to scripture um, in the past, you know, month or so? And just think about that. All right. Um, so... Uh, we, we want to obviously be approaching scripture humbly ready to hear God's word. So what, what I've brought to you tonight is just one um, kind of method. It's called Lectio Divina. And it's one way, well, I'll read the definition here. It says, um, and it's on the next page in your handout. It says, Lectio Divina, or hearing of scripture, requires an open, reflective, listening posture, alert to the voice of God. This type of reading is aimed more at growing a relationship with God than gathering information about God. So we're going to go into these different sections. Um, two, three, and four are going to be longer periods, five to seven minutes, for you to just sit and, and you know, I'll guide you through it. But we're just going to be reading it over and over again and doing these different things. So, um, so anyway, if everyone could grab their Bible... Um, it's going to be sort of longer periods of time, so get comfortable if, you, if you're someone who wants to like sit on the floor, like go to a corner or stretch out, go ahead and do that now, because um, we're just going to be sitting with God's word for a little while, um, pretty much for the rest of the time. So go ahead and yeah, find your place, maybe you're comfortable where you're at. But sometimes I, I think 
I like to really be able to feel like I'm by myself and just with God um, when, I, when I do this. So the first section we're going to be doing is called Silencio. And honestly, I haven't read a lot about the history, so I don't, I don't know why it's all in this sort of other language, to be honest, but, um, but I think it's kind of cool. So anyway, so the first part is called Silencio, um, which obviously kind of silence, just a time of silence, which we did, we've talked about here at Vintage and these deep and wide habits is like that time of silence and solitude. Um, so, so this is just going to be a time to put yourself in the presence of God, become quiet, and just offer yourself to God. So in this time, you could just be repeating, like, here I am, God, or, um, you know, I'm open to you, Lord, whatever it is, but just putting yourself in the presence of God. It can be hard, because it can be hard to break that restlessness, um, but we're just going to try to be silent for, for about two to three minutes. Um, so go ahead and, yeah, I'll set the timer and let you guys know when we're, when we're moving on. All right, we're going to move into um, the second part, which is Lectio. Um, so tonight we're going to go back to something that we've already broken down a little bit. We looked at it earlier. And it's going to be Luke um, chapter 14, which I think is up on the screen there. Should be the next slide. Yeah. Um, so uh, this time I'll, I'll read this out loud, but if you guys could all turn to it because you're going to be um, reading it again on your own. Um, but we're going to read, I'll, I'll read this out loud slowly and just allow the words to resonate and settle in your heart. Linger on the word or phrase that catches your attention and lights up for you. Sit with this word or phrase and savor it as a word of God for you. So I'll read it once and then you guys um, can just go back to whatever that word or phrase is that, that really sticks out to you. Um, so ideally you have it in a Bible somewhere. It's up here for now. Um, so it says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'll give you about five minutes to just sit with a word or phrase. All right, we're going to move into meditatio, meditation. So this time, on your own, read the passage again and listen to where the word connects with your life right now. So think about that phrase or that word that um, really stood out to you. And enter into the scene in your imagination. Imagination is a God-given gift. Envision the scene. 
Carefully watch the people. Listen to how they interact. What do you hear and experience as you watch and listen? So we know that this is a parable, but even enter into the parable. Um, imagine what it is that Jesus is saying. And what is he saying to you? Maybe enter into the scene of um, the place that he's putting on your heart and just meditate on that. Watch, listen. What is it that Jesus is saying to you? All right, we're going to move into this fourth section, ratio. Read the passage one more time, listening attentively. Has God addressed you in this word and invited you to respond? Allow the scripture to lead you into a prayer response. Do not censure your thoughts or requests. Let them flow out spontaneously and freely before the Lord who loves you. Hold nothing back. Respond to God's invitation to you. So I think this is a really important piece to just what your feelings are, put them before God. We see this all over the Psalms. There is nothing that is off limits as you just lay it before the Lord humbly, recognizing that he can rebuke you if necessary, but just lay it before him and respond to his invitation to you as you do that. All right, and the final part is contemplatio. So contemplate. Um, deeply receive God's word and rest in his presence in love. Give yourself some time to wait and be still before you re-enter life as usual. Take God's word to you, with you throughout the day. Return to it and remember it all day long. Stay with God until you feel prompted to leave. So here as you've thought about something that God is specifically speaking to you, maybe write it down somewhere. Um, but really just receive that. And, and I would say now would be a time to just really pray and talk to God about it. Um, yeah, and we'll just do this for a couple more minutes. All right, well, and there. Um, and let me just pray over this time. I hope that it was time that you guys were able to commune with the Lord. Um, so I'm just going to pray. Lord, um, I believe with all my heart, Lord, that your word is really alive and active, that it has power, that it has spiritual power, Lord, that this book, while it is a masterful work of literature, 100%, and it's why we see people in academia love to dissect it. But God, we, we truly believe that it is so, so much more. So God, I, I just pray, Lord, I know your Holy Spirit is here, Lord, where your people are gathered, your, your spirit is here, and he, and he lives in each one of us. Um, so I pray, God, that there are things that um, people heard from you in this passage, God, that you would uh, place heavily on their hearts, Lord, in, in conviction or encouragement um, or, or wisdom. God, that you would, uh, your spirit would allow this word and this phrase and just... Um, yeah, your word to them continue throughout this week, God, um, that it would even be transformational in, in people's lives. Uh, so, Lord, 
And even if that didn't happen here, God, I pray that you would give us the uh, desire to continue to chase after you and, and chase after hearing from you, um, that we would persist through the restlessness that we carry from our um, very hurried world and lives. Um, God, that, that we would hear you, that, that we would become a church, that continue to be a church, Lord, that really hears from you. Um, that, that there would be prophetic words that come from people because we are so attentive to your spirit, Lord. And we're so attentive to what you're saying in the present day through this, this book that's been written um, in years past, but you're still speaking through it. Um, Lord, I pray that that power would, would be made manifest in obvious ways that remind us the evidence of your faithfulness. God, you are good, and I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you would be willing to speak to, to us, God, um, who continue to rebel against you. Um, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this evening, and, and again, we just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So that's all we have for you guys tonight, but I, I would encourage you um, even to, in this handout, um, those, those scriptures, I wrote some questions that kind of go with them that, that allow us to continue to consider what, what God's word says about his word and how we should approach it. Um, I also included two other uh, devotional reading practices on the last page of the handout um, that you can also try, and they're shorter, so they're even things that you could do throughout the day if you only have five minutes at a lunch break or something like that. Um, but any, anyway, we're very glad that you were able to join us. Austin's in the back now. Um, but uh, thank you for allowing us to speak. I guess you're going to close it out. I'm just going to say give it up for Austin and Erica. Oh, Chris said I'm not in the shot. Uh, seriously, I, I want to, I mean, number one, the content was incredible. Right? There, there had to have been something that everybody took away, right? whether there was something new that you learned or uh, a practice that you're working through or um, just a nugget that you're now going to go back and chew on. But I also don't want you to miss, it's what I said at the very beginning, I don't want you to miss part of what this is, is seeing two Christians use their gifts in the church. And so, for me, that's as big of an important thing as the content that you learned tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, every single one of you has been given a gift. Use your gift. If there's not a way that you're utilizing your gift, bug me like Austin and Erica did. He didn't bug me. But come to me. How can we use our gift, right? Because when we're all using our gifts, that's when the church is growing. When you and I are being equipped and then we're being sent out to do the work that God has called us to. So let's thank Austin and Erica again. Appreciate you guys. Let me pray, and then we will wrap up. Father, we love you. Uh, God, may we fall more and more and more and more in love with your word. Um, speak to us. Quiet our hearts. Quiet our minds. Quiet our environments. And uh, God, may we listen to your word. Understand your word and live out your word. May we be people who know you, who love you, and obey you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great night.